How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Bronx Attorney Broadcast. Today's guest is Zach Bogle. Many of you might know Zach from Stalemates and the Street League productions that he's been putting on, uh, but he also owns a very successful barbershop in Iowa. And today we're going to talk about what got him into cutting hair initially, what made him decide to open his own barbershop, and what's coming up for Street League and Stalemates next. Hey, Zach, thanks for taking the time to talk with me tonight. I'm really uh, excited to ask you some questions. Yeah, thanks for having me. I like I like being on this side of the of the uh, yeah, conversation. So I'm not, not the host for once. Yeah, that's good. So could, could you just start off by telling us a little bit about your background? Um, so I don't know how far back you want to go, but um, I grew up in a small town, southern Iowa, a little town called Centerville. It's kind of like a kind of like a lake town. Um, but, you know, we had the necessities and everything that um, everything that I needed, we had. And uh, it's a place that I'm super grateful to be from. It's a, it's a town where a lot of people, you know, want to graduate and move on and not really go back to. But I had a really good upbringing and um, good group of friends down there. And, and I love I love where I'm from. But yeah, small town Iowa kid, pretty much. Yeah. And do you still live there or you moved uh, away after that? I moved away. So I graduated high school and then uh, I went up to Iowa State University, which is about two and a half hours from where I'm from. And my sister was going to school there at the time. And I had a cousin that was wrestling at Iowa State at the time as well. And uh, he's like a brother to me. So just kind of knew that I wanted to go up there. So I left you know, Centerville at 18. I went to Iowa State for one year for a cup of coffee, finished that year, and then uh, decided I wanted to be a barber. And pretty much everything, my whole life changed after that. You know, it was kind of, I found what I wanted to do and didn't really know what I wanted to do before that. So it was one of those things where, you know, it's a huge weight off my shoulders, taking a risk like that and being able to find, you know, something that you're passionate about is something that I hope everybody finds. So, so it sounds like you were a, an Iowa State University family. How, how do people in, in Iowa decide, you know, whether they're going to be Iowa State, uh, you know, Iowa, or, you know, UNI? It's very territorial here because we don't have, you're in, you're in New York, right? New York City. Right, yep. So you have the Mets, you have the Yankees, you have the Jets, you have the Giants. We have the, we have the Iowa Hawkeyes and the Iowa State Cyclones. So, so for us here, it's very um, embedded in the culture of being an Iowan. I feel like it's finding, you know, finding your team. And, you know, for me, I actually grew up in a, uh, an Ohio State fan, uh, the okay. Buckeyes, because my family's from Ohio. Um, we actually almost moved there once when I was in junior high. We almost moved to like the Toledo area because that's where they're from. And uh, so I had family in Ohio and, and, my parents, neither one of them went to like a huge university like that. And so they didn't really have like a connection. My dad was kind of a Hawkeye actually, but not, not really anything he was super passionate about, but I was an Ohio state fan because the family connection to, to the state of Ohio and uh, the first football game, especially college football game that I ever remember was the Buckeyes when they played Miami in like the 2002 Fiesta Bowl. Mm -hmm. And they were really, they were really good. So obviously when you're a kid, you, you, tend, you tend to like the schools that are really good. And uh, living in Iowa, I would tell people I'm, I'm an Ohio State fan, and they would just call okay. me a bandwagon. They would call <laughs> me a bandwagon fan, and I hated that. You know, right. I, I like to think of myself as like a very 
true sports fan. And so I did not like when someone called me a bandwagon fan and they would ask me, well, why do you like Ohio state? And I really didn't have the answer why other than, you know, family. And so I was like, you know what, at the time, Iowa state was terrible. And Iowa, I was always been pretty good at mm-hmm. sports at different sports, but I just was like, you know what, I'll just be an Iowa state fan because they are not good at anything right now. And that's just going to be my team because no one can call me a bandwagon. So I picked Iowa state and then obviously my sister went there later on and right. Right. You know, you know I had family members that went and uh, that's kind of how I picked it, you know? Okay. And so back to your career as a barber, how did that journey begin? So I went to, this is actually kind of a funny story. I don't know how much you want to get into the weeds, but I was going to want to share. I was going to Iowa state and uh, didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I'm, kind of a person I need a plan I like to um I'm impulse but I also I like to have a plan and, and anytime I don't really have like a plan or a vision of what I want to do I kind of freak out internally mm-hmm. and um I just didn't really have a, a, a plan and I was passing all my classes I've always done well in school it really you know it was pretty simple freshman year basic stuff so um just didn't really know for sure what 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 I wanted and uh I would go to Iowa City every weekend to Iowa, to University of Iowa, because I had made a group of friends at Iowa State, but they really weren't like the friends I grew up with. And Mm. they were very like church focused and they did this whole, they were doing the whole religion part of college. You know, there's like the groups on campus that are like really church influenced. And I did not sign up to go to college for that. You know what I mean? I signed up to go to college like everybody else I wanted to party on the weekends I wanted to tailgate I wanted to do this and that so the group of friends that I met they were a great group of guys but they really weren't doing what I wanted out of my college experience so I would get in my car I would drive to um, this community college I'd pick up my friend who was playing juco baseball and then we would drive to Iowa City and we would party on the weekends okay well one of those weekends I got in trouble for drinking and um, I was you know, 18, the cop walks in and, and Iowa city, you can be a minor and go to the bar. You just have to be out by 10 o'clock. Okay. So we would, we would go and party at the bar and then 10 o'clock would come and then we would go out of there. Well, some of my friends were older than me and they were 21 and I was 18. So I was, you know, I was always kind of, I felt like the younger kid of our, of our group of friends. Mm -hmm. I was always like the youngest one. So I wanted to hang with them. So I stuck around at the bar and when the cop came, the cops would come in at 10 and, and look for minors. Well, I looked 12 years old at the time. <laughs> so the cop comes in and I have my drink in my hand. Right. And we meet eye contact and I, and I look at him, he looks at me and I take, I do the dumbest move of all time, but it changed my life. I took the beer and I put it on the table. Like I was like, you know, look at him. I was like, Oh crap. And I set it down. Right. So he, he says, all right, you know, I was stupid. So he brings me outside writes me a ticket it's funny because he actually had cauliflower ear so i was like oh easy he's got cauliflower ear i can talk to him i can name talk, drop people. talk him out of writing you a citation exactly so he <laughs> does so i'm like oh you went to iowa city west you know this guy oh i know him too we're having a uh-huh. good time and then he slides this ticket across the table it's 330 dollars, and i remember just thinking like i asked him i'm like what is this he's like it's a possession of alcohol under the legal age and i'm like well you know what does that mean he's like it's a 300 dollars fine i'm like 300 he's like He's like, well, calm down. You're not going to jail or anything. And I was like, well, can I go to jail? So I don't have to pay this. Like I was willing to go to jail to not pay that. Right. And, you know, I have pretty strict parents that like, they don't, you know, my sister, she never got in trouble for anything. She was homecoming queen. She NHS top five. She had Uh a full ride, like never, ever done anything wrong in her life, you know? 
And so for me, I was more the wild, not wild, or I wasn't super wild, but just more your average kid who gets in mm. trouble from time to time. And um, I was always kind of pushing the envelope when it comes to that stuff. So anyway, so I, I have this ticket. I don't really have a way to pay for it because it was the end of the school year. It was like March. So I, you know, the funds are running low. I'd work all summer, save up that money and then spend it throughout the year on a budget. So I really didn't have the $300. So I remember walking home from the bar with this ticket in my hand. I remember just thinking like, you just need it call home, come clean, whatever. So I call my parents, like, I got this ticket. I can't pay for it this summer. As soon as I start working, I'll, I'll pay you guys all the money back. Um, yada, yada, yada. And they were way more upset than I thought they would be. So they're like, come home. So I go home and they were like, you know, had this big discussion with me on, you know, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you getting in trouble? What, you know, this, mm-hmm. this, and this, and, and all these things. And just having this, you know, uh, come to Jesus moment of trying to get me to, to focus on what I need to be focusing on. And, um, you know, I remember just, just, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And then they were like, okay, we'll, we'll loan you the money. You're going to pay us back. And then on top of that, uh, you got to go help your cousin out. My cousin, um, she had, she's a cosmetologist, so she cuts mm-hmm. hair and she had just bought the salon that she had worked at for like seven years. And she, she was going to have to move locations of the salon. So she bought it, but she had to move it. And they're like, they're like, we'll loan you the money, but you got to go help her out today and yada, yada, yada. So I'm like, okay. So I go to help her. My dad and I are carrying things and we're having, you know, live talks as we're carrying things, you know, in and out of the salon and in the truck and this and that. And he's got one end of this, like, like, uh, you know, those seats that old ladies sit under, they have the hood and it, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. fries the hair. And I'll never forget this. He had one side and I had one side. And I remember just telling him like, as a joke, I'm like, you know, if, if Iowa State doesn't work out, I'll just go cut hair with Jessica all day, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was just said it jokingly. And he kind of laughed and I laughed. And then the rest of the day, just kind of that joke just sat in my head. And I was thinking, I'm thinking and thinking. And so keep in mind, I get in trouble on a Friday. Right. This is a Saturday. This is a Saturday, but it kept in my mind. I go home back to, I go back to Ames on Sunday, two hour drive. I'm thinking about it the whole drive. I get the aims. I get my computer out. I start YouTube and like barbering career, barbers, this and that. Cause my vision of a barber is like the, the 70 year old guy that, you know, learned to cut hair because he went to Vietnam. Yeah. So I was thinking like all these old guys are going to retire and there's going to be nobody to fill their spots. And I start doing the math on, you know, what I thought I could make. And uh, I found a barber school that night online. So that's Sunday. And I remember- wow. Monday, I called my parents. I'm like, I'm going to go look at this barber school. There's a barber school in Des Moines. So I don't know if, how aware you are, but Des Moines, 30 minutes south of Ames. Okay. And so my, my parents, you know, I got good parents. They're like, you know, well, if you're, if you're really thinking about doing this, we want to come. So they came with me. It's in like kind of a, I don't want to say a sketchy part of Des Moines, but it, you know, you think about the people that go to barber school, it's usually, um, or you think about the people that are at a barber school, it's usually people who, uh, how do I put this? Like, um, you know, people who are paying $6 a haircut aren't always going to be like, you know, uh, the, you know, the people you want to be around, I guess. And so, so these I go are the to people the that you're practicing on that you're talking about or. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they're like, they're like, so we show to the school and there's all the, you know, the barber school clients are there. It's like, usually like we, we would cut a lot of, um, like refugees. We would cut a lot of, um, uh, homeless people, just mm-hmm. a lot of people who couldn't afford to go to like, a great clips or a sports clips or a barbershop or salons. Cause the haircuts were like $5. Right. So we go in there. It's kind of scary. You know, it's like, I'm coming from a small town where there's like, you know, 
I'm, I'm a quarter Mexican and I was like the minority guy. You know what I mean? Like it was very, very white farm town. And then I go to the school and it's, it's very much the opposite of what I grew up around. And so I remember signing up and just being in, you know, I signed, so I remember I signed up on like, you know, had the thought on a Sunday or a Saturday and I signed up on Wednesday and I remember just being like, screw it. I'm just going to be fully immersed in, and whatever it is. And I had a, I had a great time in barber school. Um, and it was pretty much from there. It was, you so know, did you, home. did you like drop out mid semester to go to barber school or like, how'd that no. work? No, my parents said you have to finish. So they're like, okay. you never know how this is going to work. So you have to finish the year. So I've never failed a class before. So it was very important to me. I did not want to fail. So mm-hmm. I, it was really, really hard to be like, I'm probably never going to come back and I'm probably never going to use these credits, but you've never failed a class. So like pay attention enough to where you pass. But right. like my mind was already like, I'm out of here. And like, I didn't even tell the friends that I did have at Iowa state. I didn't even tell that I was moving. Cause I didn't want them to talk me out of it. You know, you tell somebody like, yeah, Hey, yeah, I'm yeah. thinking about doing this. Their first reaction because they care about you is normally like, Hey, maybe don't drop out of school to, to be a barber. Cause you right. never even talked about this before. And that you had one thought I didn't want that. So I didn't tell anybody like, I'm just going to do it. And then if they're going to say these negative things and I'm going to be like, well, it's too late. I already signed mm-hmm. up. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how that went down. And then, so now that you're doing well, you're like, Hey mom and dad, aren't you glad I wanted that beer when I was 18 years old? I've definitely had those conversations <laughs> with them. And like, I'm lucky that they never, they had those thoughts of like, we don't want him to be a barber, but they yeah. never told me those thoughts until I had already like, um, you know, made it or like started once they started figuring out, like I, make them you know certain amount of money a year or whatever then you know they're like oh he can afford to buy a house and stuff and then they told me like hey we really didn't want you to be a barber but yeah. i have good parents and and they they never told me that until it, you know they never told me that till i had already kind of been doing well you know yeah so do, do you get like a certificate for completing barber school or you yeah know, so you, you yeah you do a year of of barber school which is essentially just show up at eight work till five and then you go home and you basically logging hours. I call it like, it's almost like prison and you're just doing time. Mm-hmm. So you do time at the school when you're done with that, um, you take all your tests. And then when you're done, you have to go take, uh, and every state's different, but Iowa, I think is the most strict state or the second most strict, um, when you're done with the barber school. So you you get all your hours done. You have to take your boards just like you would mm-hmm. for, um, you know, being a lawyer, nurse doctor whatever you go and take your state boards you pass your your uh, written test your practical and then you become a barber okay and you have your own shop now right yeah yep so i just opened my own shop in january and uh it's been it's been good i worked somewhere else for seven years okay. and uh yeah and then so what made you decide after seven years of working was it the same place you were working at yeah. So when I graduated barber school, I actually moved back to my hometown. I worked there for four months. Actually, I ended up working for my cousin who I said, okay. joke, the one person I said jokingly that I'd come, you know, oh, well, maybe I'll just go cut hair with Jessica. So I actually graduated from barber school. I moved back to my hometown, which is two hours away. I realized I didn't belong in the small town anymore. Like Mm-hmm. I would go home on breaks and I'd have a good time. And I thought, man, it's good being back home. And so I went back home. I quickly realized I'm not going to like progress and be where I want to be in the small town. Um, 
like I said, it's a great place to be from, but I knew to get to where I wanted to go, I needed to move. So I moved. Um, I had actually, I really wasn't planning on moving, but I had a, a really good mentor of mine, a guy that I had really looked up to while I was in barber school. He had already kind of figured out um, the business side of things. And he was like, hey, I'm going to go open up my own shop. It's going to be downtown Des Moines, which is a great area to be in. And he's like, do you want to come? And I told him no at first because I had started building up my clientele mm -hmm. and I had already kind of started building, you know, something good. Well, then, you know, he kept calling and kept calling. And the more he called, the more I realized he was right. And I really didn't want to be in a small town anymore. So he said, you know, he just kept calling. Eventually, I was like, you know what? What do I have to lose? I mean, you know, I think this time I was, I think I was. Uh, let's see. So I signed up at barber school at 19, graduated at 20. So I was like 20 years old at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I, I was about to turn 21. All my friends were at colleges having fun. And so I was like, you know what? I want to move to Des Moines. So I ended up moving back to Des Moines and uh, I worked for him. He was a good mentor of mine. He, I wouldn't be where I'm at now, even, even outside of barbering, I wouldn't be where I'm at without him. So he was a really good mentor of mine. I worked for him for seven years and, uh, you know, as you progress in life, I kind of got to a point where I was like, all right, you know, we had just had another price raise. Um, my clients stayed with me. My clients have shown me a lot of loyalty throughout the years. Mm -hmm. I was just kind of, it's just kind of the next logical step is like opening your own thing. So in Des Moines, there's really not a lot of great, um, haircutting establishments. So I knew, I knew that if I moved to where I open my shop I'd have success and you know six months later we're ready to hire a third barber now and you know things are going good so was that something that you were always kind of working towards opening your own shop like ever since the beginning or when did that feeling start to like set in um yes and no it wasn't like uh you know that that feeling would come and go right like it would be like at, in barber school I had that feeling and then when I became a barber under my mentor, it was like, I didn't really want to leave because mm. th things were, things were really good. I had a good clientele built up and, you know, I'm making good money. We, we charge, you know, a decent amount. And I really didn't see myself going that direction. And then obviously as you mature and you get older, I remember telling him at some point, you know, I'll be here for my twenties, you know, now I'm older, I'm not 30, but I'm upper twenties. And I'm like, okay, it's just kind of one of those things. I'm, kind of bored with where I'm at and, mm -hmm. and not bored with cutting hair, but just bored professionally. And I just had, you know, I've started the podcast and, and uh, you know, I've learned a lot through that process. I learned how to, you know, start an LLC and how to, um, you know, manage talent and do things. And I was like, you know, do I just sit at this shop and cut hair for the next 40 years until mm -hmm. I can't cut hair anymore? Or do I try to challenge myself and, and grow and, I'm, I get, I get bored really, really fast. So I kind of yeah. always got to be, I got to be doing things. I get bored fast. So I was just kind of like, all right, once I'm, what, once I'm bored with something, I immediately want to tackle the challenge of not being bored. And that's mm -hmm. when I do, that's when I open my own shop. That's when I started the podcast and stuff like that. So. Okay. And I don't think you mentioned what, what's the name of your barbershop and where is it? Um, it's called Heartland Barbers and it's in West Des Moines, Iowa. So Des Moines is kind of weird. It's almost like the twin cities where you have two cities connected. So mm -hmm. Des Moines is, Des Moines is like the big city. And then West Des Moines is like one, the biggest suburb, but it's a separate okay. city. So I'm in West, I'm in the West side of Des Moines. 
Yeah. So I, I think there might be some people from New York and New Jersey turning, tuning into this that are getting a geography lesson right now. Yeah. Sorry yeah. about that. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> um, but what do you, what would you say is, was your biggest surprise or challenge in going from employee to business owner? Um, you know, I've never really been a manager. Like I had jobs growing up, but a lot of the ways that I made money growing up was, um, entrepreneurial. So I never really, I never really liked the idea of like clocking in and getting paid a certain amount and, and that whole thing. I never really liked that. So I was always pretty self independent, I guess. But when you become kind of, when you become the owner, you become more of a manager and you realize that not everybody is, um, how do I, you know, getting everybody on the same page, getting people to buy into like a culture and like mm-hmm. really learning to be a leader and not just, you know, somebody who just shows up, you know, as far as like the day-to-day task goes, it's, it's not too hard, but as far as like, you know, realizing what you say to somebody really means something and just really being around different personalities. I, I realized that too, working at the shop that I used to work at, there were seven of us and you know, the way that I grew up and the way that I was raised isn't the same way as other people. So you have to figure out different ways to really connect with people. And like, you know, even, even like sense of humor is, is different mm-hmm. with different people. You know, I grew up a very, um, I always say like nobody roasts better than my mom or like, my <laughs> aunt. like they, any insecurities that I had growing up, they would, they would poke fun. And like, that was almost their, our way of like, um, conversation and whatnot, where like, I would go and say certain things to people and it might rub them the wrong way and are being really honest with somebody uh, isn't always the best option. And you got to really mm-hmm. learn like, Hey, what's the best way with connecting this person that's going to make them really enjoy working here and, and what's going to make them motivated. And, and th- those things are, are challenges that I face to this day. You know, we're trying to hire a third person and just talking to people and interviewing people. It's, it's tough, but as far as like the, the task goes, you know, I feel like you got to have a system and, you know, I have a good system and, you know, the mentor that I had was, was really good at that. And, and just being able to watch him from afar and, and I'm, you know, I feel like I'm a really good observer and observing the way that people, um, whether it's coaches or, or uh, bosses or managers or coworkers, just really observing people and realizing like, this is what gets this guy motivated. Okay. Well, you know, let me try this or, or, you know, and then once you, once you get things really rolling, it's a, it's a well-oiled machine. And, you know, I have one kid working for me now that I'm really proud of because he's in the six months that I've been around him, he's really, you know, just realizing what I do affects him. And he might not know that, but um, just being able to see my actions reflect what he does is, is really amazing to watch, but it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. And so what would you say is the most rewarding aspect of owning your own business? the most rewarding aspect, you know, the kid, the kid that I hired, he was probably booked. So we do appointments, right? So mm-hmm. a way to tell how well you're doing is how, how far out you're booked. And, and when he first started, he, he was, you know, I remember convincing him like, Hey, I promise you, like, if you just trust me, I will make sure that you're busy. I will make yeah. sure that you, you do all right. And, you know, he was cutting hair in, in the area of town where I was from. So we were yeah. going to go and open a shop 20 minutes. So it's a super risk, you know, telling somebody like, Hey, you're going to have to travel, you know, 20 minutes in the other direction to come here and, mm-hmm. and being able to look at his book and see how booked up he is now because of, you know, my plan that I had it, it, 
feels really good to see to see that you know because if he came out there and, and he and everything went bad for him and make me you know i don't know what i would do i'd feel yeah. terrible <laughs> so being able to being able to see like hey we're ready like we're we turn away people now and and um you know it's a it's a you know i've always been a pretty good marketer and just to know that just to know that the things that you're doing are paying off feels really really well feels yeah. good that's great and then yeah. so what kind of advice would you have to somebody who might be straddling that fence, maybe not just in haircutting, but in, in something similar where they're thinking, you know, I have it pretty good now, but I really want to do my own thing. You know, what would you tell somebody who's in, in that position? Um, oh man, that's a really good question. I, I had a different answer ready, but then you changed it. Um, it's got to feel right. You know, I don't think you should ever jump the gun. But at the same time, if you're, if you're confident and you have a plan, then start there, right? Um, I like to kind of – I was just having a conversation with my dad the other day about this because he's very, he's very risk adverse. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's successful in what he does, and, and he's, he's an entrepreneur, and I've learned a lot through him. But we differ in the fact that he wants everything planned out to a T, mm-hmm. right? Well. I'm much more macro and he's very micro. So my dad wants, like, I remember sitting down with him table. Okay. You can charge this much. This is how many haircuts that you can do in a day. He unbeknownst to me went and talked to a barber and talked to him about, you know, the financial side of things. And, and he's lucky that the guy was pretty, you know, cool with it. And, Mm -hmm. um, so we came home and we're like, Zach, you can make this much. Well, um, just, I'm the opposite. I'm, I want to do this. I will figure out those micro things along the right. way. How so like, there. right. And so I'm more like, here's my overall vision. I'm just going to do it. And I'm just going to make whatever that first step is. I'm just going to do it and I'll figure out every step along the way. And I think you got to figure out, you know, if you're, if you're working for a, you know, let's say, let's say you're a, a bartender and you want to, you want to open a, a bar one day, you got to realize that when you're an owner, there's going to be these annoyances. Mm-hmm. And if you're, if you're willing to put up with so much um, speed bumps, if you're willing to do that and you're a problem solver, you're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. If you don't enjoy those things and you just enjoy the act of making a drink or pouring a beer or having a conversation, then just, just stay doing that, you know? Right. But if you enjoy the act of cleaning the, the bar, opening the bar, closing the bar, having conversations, the bookkeeping. If you enjoy all those, you'll be fine. If you only enjoy the part of pouring a drink, you know, I think you also have a very good, you have to have a good self-awareness of what you like. And you have to kind of have like an intention check. You know, what are my intentions of working here? Are, are my intentions to really grow this business and, and make it my own? Or is my intentions just, I want to make more money. If your intentions are just, you want to make more money, having a business is very expensive and, and uh, you know, it can be very, if, if money's your passion, you should probably shouldn't do it, you know? Yeah. So do you think that you should wait to that point where you're like, okay, I'm ready. Or do you think that you need to take a little bit of a leap of faith there? It's always going to be a leap of faith, but I think you have to be ready. You know, if I would have, if I would have opened a shop when I, you know, if I would have opened a shop right out of barber school, I would have, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be half as successful as I am now because I, I don't think that in hindsight, I wasn't ready. Um, 
I feel like you'll know when the time is right. And when, when that time is right, then you should act fast because you, you know, you don't, I just don't think you should ever really be stagnant in life. Mm -hmm. And it, as soon as you get bored with something that you love, you know, it's time to move on. And uh, I've always loved barbering. I've never had a single day where I've like been like, you know, I don't really want to go into work today. You know, you have days where you're like, get me the hell out of here. I'm, I'm tired of tired of dealing with people. But as far as, you know, waking up in the morning, I love my commute to work. I love being around my clients. Um, I love all that. And so I knew I was going to be all right, no matter what. And, you know, as far as the risk goes, I think there's always risk involved. But at the end of the day, you, if you say, take all these things away from me, what's your life look like? It's not that bad as long as you're healthy and, you know, you're, you know, you got your friends and family. It's not all that other stuff doesn't really matter. You know, yeah, I think that's great advice. Yeah, thanks. This episode of the Bronx Attorney Broadcast was brought to you by me, Will Ferrero. Uh, I'm an attorney in prior law right here in the Bronx, and we primarily practice in personal injury. However, we do also do a, a variety of areas of practice. So I can help you with just about any sort of legal issue that you might have. I'm admitted to practice both in New York and New Jersey. And if it's not something that I can personally help you with, I can connect you with someone in my network of attorneys who is best equipped to help you with your legal issue. You can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at Bronx Attorney. You can send me an email, Ferrero at Prior Law, or call me at the office, 718-829-0222. And now back to the show. All right, now let's segue into something that I think uh, most viewers and listeners will know you from, and that's stalemates. Um, my my biggest question yeah. about stalemates is: is stalemates a second business, or is it a hobby, or is it both? Um, started a hobby, now it's a second business for sure. Especially with uh, street league and stuff going on, it's okay. uh, it's definitely become more of a business. And you know, the more that we grow, um, it's becoming more and more of um it's becoming more and more of of of, of a business so okay. wasn't always in, wasn't always supposed to be that way you know and then so you know wrestling's a fairly small market and there's already some some large companies in that small market what made you think you know what i i can get in there and provide something that these other you know, media outlets might not. I mean, it's simple for me. I, I, I'm still a fan and I'm always going to be a wrestling fan. And I, and I love wrestling content. Like I always um, loved watching like flow radio and I liked, um, you know, paying attention to what was going on. And I just felt like we never really got a true behind the scenes look at wrestling and, you know, whether that be wrestling media, whether that be the wrestlers themselves, um, you know, wrestlers in general aren't very, it's better now than it was before, but it's not a very, I don't want to say it's never been shown in like a fun light, you know, especially being in Iowa, it's always been very much like wrestlers are tough. You know, you, you show how much hard work you put in on the mat. You don't talk about it you um it's always just been so like results based and like mm. not necessarily marketed well and i've always felt right. like i've 
been a good marker my whole life. Um, back in the, you know, back when I was 21, 22 and uh, my early days of barbering, I was like, uh, I like, and even in high school, I like promoted parties and stuff. So I always felt like I had this, like, always felt like I had this niche to get people excited about something. Right. So I was throwing parties in my small hometown, um, that don't have like a party atmosphere at all, but Mm -hmm. I knew what got me excited. And so I was like, I know it gets me excited. I can get these other people excited. They're going to want to come to these parties that I'm throwing. And and we would have like 300 people at a bar, like, (laughs) um, you know, in my hometown of 5,000 people. So I've always had this very, I feel like a high emotional intelligence of what gets me excited. So then when I looked at, you know, the wrestling landscape, I'm like, man, like, don't get me wrong. I think, you know, the people at flow are great. I think Willie's great. I think, I think there are definitely good people in wrestling media. And I didn't really know too much about Ryan Warner and wrestling changed my life. I didn't know too much about um, um, like blood round or, or these other people. So I found out about them later on, but at the time I just didn't really know that those things existed. So I was like, I want to do what I want to do. And I knew like the platform on YouTube really wasn't being utilized in wrestling. It was always behind these paywalls. It was always, you know, like you'll hear about the complaints with flow and their paywall and, mm-hmm. and then um, rock, Rockfin really wasn't a thing at the time. So, um, and even like Intermat had their subscription. I'm like, nobody's putting out free content, but every other sport in the world, that's way bigger than wrestling. It's all for free on YouTube. Why isn't anybody doing this? Now I found out later on, there are people doing it, but I just felt like it really wasn't being done how we do things. And I think the reason why we, you know, succeeded in the beginning was just because people were kind of thrown off by it. Yeah. It seems like a lot of other wrestling media outlets, they're, they're very informational and that's kind of provided not in as much of a fun context as stalemates does it. So right. was that always the idea is to like put a, a more fun spin on it? Yeah, a hundred percent. I've talked about this before on other podcasts I've done. We, we recorded like three episodes before we ever put anything out because it was like, we wanted, we wanted to uh, practice, you know, and, and I, we had too much fun on those. So I was like, okay, that's a little too far. Like, it's a little too honest, right? So we, you know, we dialed it down and, and, you know, the goal was always to be, I think the laziest thing you can do is just do what everybody else does. Right. Mm-hmm. So the goal was always to be different and we wanted to cover it in a different aspect. Like we wanted to cover it from, I hate using this term because people don't like the forums, but mm-hmm. I always found myself as a wrestling fan going to these forums to find out the inside scoop and to find out what was going on behind the scenes. Cause there seemed to be people like even Willie, right? Like Willie was one of the people from flow that would go on the forums and kind of give a different side of him that he would give on an FRL. Right. So then mm-hmm. I was like finding myself going to the Hawkeye report and you know, the Facebook forums really weren't, weren't really a thing until, you know, I didn't find out about those until I started doing the show, but um, I find myself always going to there before I would go to these other outlets. So I'm like, this is way more enjoyable. Now, is there a lot of toxic people in those things? Absolutely. <laughs> but there's also, there's also information that I wanted. And I was like, I'm going to try to take the best parts of like these forums 
and be way less toxic hopefully and you know i think that'll work and i think it i think it has and i think it is and i think you know we're always kind of changing things and you know we might do things that other people have done but you know i think you know as long as we stay true to you know what got us here and you know we've changed our formats and we've tried different things and i really like when people give me criticism because it, it it's it's you know coming from an honest place as long as they're not just being you know you know there's a certain way to do that right but mm-hmm. um you know, I really love trying to figure out what people, what people like. I like asking people and I like meeting people and saying, Hey, you know, how'd you find us? You know, what made you want to, you know, pay attention to what we were doing. And I really, I'm really kind of obsessed with trying to figure it out. Okay. And when you say that, you know, it was, you said something like you went a little too far or something like that was like, was that like you were too wacky? You were too insulting to wrestlers or, or what, what do you mean by you went a little too far? definitely insulting the wrestlers because (laughs) you know first of all wrestling became really small really fast to me right like Mm -hmm. um i i was having people come to the barbershop i used to work at that i didn't tell that i had a podcast and they were coming in and saying like hey i you know i heard you have a show or whatever like they were finding out about it and so i was like holy crap like what I say actually gets put out there. You know what I mean? Like at first nobody was listening, so I didn't really care, you know? So we would kind of just say like things that, you know, you might say over a beer with your friend. Yeah. And then I found out really fast, like it's not that hard for someone to, you know, find find you. (laughs) Right. I found that out with the Oklahoma, you know, when we got with Oklahoma state, I don't know how far back you paid attention, but you know, when I got into it with Oklahoma state coach about, uh, you know, the dating fix thing, I, compared him to oj simpson in like a funny way (laughs) you know and like finding out like oh wait like i say something people will listen it's not just me and my buddies anymore right yeah and so is there is there a significant crossover from like barbershop clients and people who listen to or, or watch what you're doing through stalemates um i try to really keep it separate honestly um just because i'm so paranoid of like somebody who doesn't like me from stalemates interfering with how I actually, you know, make money in my life. So I try to keep them separate, but um, I'm, I'm not like, it's not like super secretive or anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I've put out things on Twitter. I, I don't usually say the name of the shop or like where it's at or stuff like that, but um, I'm starting to get more and more people with cauliflower ear in my chair, which is cool. I love it. It's awesome. Cause you know, I love talking about wrestling with people and, and everything like that. I hope I meet their expectation of, you know, um, of me, whatever that is. Um, but you know, being in Iowa, wrestling's big. So I got recognized at the, this donut shop next to our barbershop the other day, this guy walked out of the bathroom and he gave me this look and it was a look of like, different kind of look when you meet eyes with somebody before (laughs) yeah and and what's funny is he kept he i was like well that was like a really weird look right so then he walks past me doesn't say anything and when he walked past me i kind of turned around like do i know him why did i why did he look at me that way and and when i looked back at him he also was looking back (laughs) at me to figure out if it was me or not and he's like he's like he's like stalemates what's up or something that's funny that's really funny yeah so it's becoming it's it's becoming crossover but you know i try to keep them try to keep it a little separate yeah and i, f- I feel like you guys are starting to play characters a little bit too a bit more lately would you agree with that what do you mean bits? what do you mean like you're doing a little bit more acting with your bits lately 
Um, in what sense? Well, like, you know, Tyler with the, uh, with the lawyer bit the other day. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, that was more like a commercial, right? So like, we were like, all right, we got to figure out funny ways to do these ads. We bought a green screen. It was like, you know, we're trying to figure out ways to do it. And, you know, we try to, I found out, you know, going through old content and I'm always trying to figure out what we're doing. I'm always trying to figure out what made people initially fall in love with stalemates. And I think a lot of it was like, um, we were being informative, but we would also kind of be funny. Right. And I felt like sometimes when you just do our weekly shows, we kind of can fall on those lazy, you know, the lazier side of things and just do recaps. And I don't really like doing, you know, I don't know why anybody would care what I have to, my opinion of like how a match is going to go down. Right. Like it's Mm going to happen. It's going to happen. So, you know, people come to us because they want to find out what's going on in wrestling. And so I'm trying to get, trying to get back to that a little bit. And I try to be conscious of like really being yourself on camera. And I, and I, and you know, I I want to get back to like, if you and I were having a beer and hopefully we do in New York, but I, I, I really want to get back to like, I want to feel like the, the crowd is an extension of us. And we, you uh-huh. know, it's like, if we were, if we were all having a beer together, how would this conversation about wrestling go down? It's very rare. I feel like you sit down with somebody who also knows wrestling and you start breaking down someone's high crotch or, you know, low ache, right, usually right. it doesn't go down that way. So I want it to be natural and, and uh, hopefully I'm not playing a character of myself. Okay. So not so, not so much acting in, in the future then. <laughs> Tyler, Tyler in the, the ad that was more of a, a character. Yeah. Got it. So then how did you come up with the idea of putting a card together and creating street league? Well, I know that you're pretty active in the community and when COVID went down, everybody was putting these cards together and very naively, I was like, that's not that hard. I, I don't think that that that's that hard. Like what's that look like? And, um, you know, I was like, well, we're not going to be able to afford anybody that's good. And none of the good guys are really going to want to compete in something like this. Right. So we just started calling up, you know, I remember calling my, my neighbor wrestles. Like he, he was the first match tonight. I was like, Hey, would you want to do this? And he, you know, thinks I'm crazy. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. So I found him an opponent. Then I call up other friends. I start just calling people that I know, like kind of talk them into this idea of like, Hey, you want to go wrestle one more time? Like you, you talk about wanting to get in shape and this and that. And it became, you know, one thing after another, we put out, I think we had talked about it on the show. We started getting guys who were like Colt McChrystal reached out and he's, he's really good. And I remember thinking like, Holy crap, like Colt McChrystal wants to do this. Yeah. He listens to our show. <laughs> I remember thinking like that guy listens to our show. He's a stud, you know? And so he ends up, you know, I'm like, okay, well, we got to find someone halfway decent to face Colton McChrystal. Oh, Chris Dardane's just moved into town. Let's see what that looks like. So then, you know, next thing you know, we're like, okay, well, like some of these bigger name guys that we want are going to want paid. Well, how do we do that? Okay, we got to sell tickets. And then it became, next thing you know, Kyvin and Pat Downey are like talking trash. I'm literally sitting in Hawaii on vacation and Pat Downey starts tweeting at us. And I remember just thinking like, well, should we do it? And at the time, um, you know, he was canceled or whatever. Right. And mm-hmm. we were like, we really need to make a splash. And if we take the risk of like getting a lot of bad backlash for having him, I felt like it was going to be worth the reward because so many more people were going to find out about us. And, you know, that was true. Um, it went down how it went down or whatever, but, um, 
you know, I think at that point people realized, okay, these guys can like do it. Right. And, um, you know, we had help from many people. I remember just like, okay, you know, um, Tony Hager from I wrestle, he's put on cards. I remember talking to him multiple times, like, Hey, what do we need? Okay. You need insurance. You need refs. You need table workers. You need, um, security. You need this, you need that, you know, and going to the venues and trying to convince them like, Hey, we, you know, we're doing this thing. And they they thought it was WWE type wrestling and <laughs> just trying to tell them it's not. And, yeah. and, uh, they, they didn't, they didn't understand. And then even when you add someone like Kyvin, it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, most of these guys are like, you know, they work, they have daytime jobs and they're just trying to have fun one more time. But we also have this guy who's like an Olympic alternate and right. national champion and like training and he's really high level. And he's going to face this guy named Pat Downey who's canceled. And yeah, it just kind of became that. Right. And then we did the first one. It did really well. We got this super high adrenaline from it. We like, we've got to do it again. People really like Mikey. And so we're like, Hey Mikey, you know, can we get you one more time? Um, and he did it. And then he kind of saw the fruits of like our, our like, you know, um, crowd and, and our people who really liked him and, and it really helped him in his MMA career. And so then, you know, we started getting more wrestlers and, it's really hard to tell some wrestlers like we get some big names and it's like, Hey, we would love to have you, but we just, we, we can't afford you. Well, right. now it's come to a point that we're doing better now. And now we can go and get an Alex Marinelli versus the Richie Lewis. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's a, it's going to be our biggest one yet. And it's, it's the, it's the most amount of money we've spent. And, you know, we really don't want to outprice ourselves. If you've realized you look at a lot of these flow cards and these Brock bin cards, they're not doing them anymore because they pay too much money where mm-hmm. we try to, tell these guys like hey this isn't going to be your biggest payday but it's going to be fair and um and it's going to be a good time and it, it doesn't mean anything at the end of the day you're not going to be any less of a wrestler because of it and you're also probably not going to be you know you know who knows what could happen afterwards but you're not going to make the world team by winning this so there's yeah, no yeah. pressure you know I, I said earlier before i cut out when you think of these old-timer tournaments i don't know does new jersey have any big old old-timer tournaments for you guys in New York, you know, there are some in New York and New Jersey, but you know, I I'm not really I don't keep up with them. I don't I don't compete. Right. <laughs> yeah, and and people know if you've wrestled before, it's really freaking hard, you know. And so if you want to do the only the only um, post collegiate post high school things that you can do are those old timer tournaments, which it's mm-hmm. like wrestling's really hard to wrestle for six minutes for seven minutes. If you're doing a tournament, you're at least going to wrestle twice, maybe three, four times, and you're out of shape. Like, that does not sound fun. Plus, nobody really goes to those. There's really not a crowd. But we're like, hey, you can go. Am I still there? Oh, now you're back. I was like, hey, you can. I was like, hey, you can come and wrestle in this in this dual meet style thing. You're going to wrestle once. Your friends and family are coming, and they they can drink beer, and you can watch these other things. Oh, and at the end of the night, we also have, like, this kind of – you know, high level match that you guys can all stay mm-hmm. and watch and people really like it. You know, you got guys like Zach Goldrosen that are really taking it to a next, next level yeah. and they're, they're doing promos and, and the kid that he's wrestling is thinking, what the heck is this? You know, like, right, right, it right. becomes kind like of a one thing promo now. a week. Yeah. So like, that's kind of the, the idea, right? Like Mikey, you know, Mikey at first didn't get paid anything. And then the next one, I was like, hey, we'll make you the main event if you'll come back because people really gravitated towards you. and You're going to wrestle this UFC fighter and, uh, you know, you'll be the headliner. You can make this now. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he did it. It, it. it was like the best match of the night. And now we get to do he's going to do his third. And he's getting paid. Um, he's getting paid more, you know, more than he did the first time. So it's it's, you know, we're trying to de- 
it's, you know, I got to check my intention sometime and realize how far do I really want to go with this thing. But, mm-hmm. you know, if guys like Zach Goldrosen and, and Mikey and, and uh, you know, Sam White and Dylan Cox, these guys that have done it on every one of our cards, if they keep wanting to do it and we have higher level guys keep wanting to do it, I don't know why we wouldn't keep doing it. You know, wrestling's never had a pro league and we don't have intentions of, of doing that. Do we, I no, by no chance do I, by no imagination do I ever think, um, you know, we're going to one day be like, a career for these guys but if it ever mm-hmm. ends up being that way then then that's a that's awesome and i think i think you should always start stuff with an organic mindset and not hey we're trying to make this thing you know a career for these guys i feel like so many times in wrestling we we, we start off by just throwing so much money away right it doesn't do well because we spent so much dang money and it, it there's no longevity in it those things are always every time they do them they're one and done maybe mm-hmm. two um we have plans of being, uh, you know, longevity. And, and I don't know if that looks like once or twice a year, we did two last year. Maybe we can do two this year. Maybe next year we can do three or four and maybe in the future we can do one once a month, you know, who, who knows? Yeah. And so you said in the beginning that you thought it was going to be, you know, not that hard and it seems like it pretty much evolved organically. Right. Or was there any big hurdles you had to overcome? There's always hurdles. Um, I remember the first one, I remember telling somebody, you know, I remember telling, telling, uh, Mikey, you know, I I was like, you know, he showed up and, um, I told him before, I was like, man, it's really not been that hard. Like the the first one sold out and like fast, you know, it sold out pretty quickly. And I remember thinking like, dang, this is pretty easy. Well, then your main event didn't show up. So then I was like, okay, like there's always something. So I try not to be too cocky, but you know, now how bad do you think that, sorry to interrupt you. How bad do you think that hurt you? Because I feel like a lot of people tuned in to see, what would happen with that? Would you? I had one email. No, I think it helped us because we got a lot of attention by having him on, which was obviously the goal there. Um, we, the only reason we had him on was to get attention. You know what I mean? So we got the attention, and then when he didn't show, it made the attention go even crazier. Right. Um, right. I do think if he would have showed up, I think if he would have showed up, the roof. If you were at that first one, it was so loud because it was such a small room and it was sold mm-hmm. out. The roof would have blown off the place. Um, so it, it, I don't think it hurt at all. Honestly, we only had one guy email us for a refund for his tickets because he came to see Pat Downing. But I mean, if you just really? showed up just to see Pat, if you showed up, if you're like buying a ticket to something only to see Pat Downey, come on. You know what I mean? So oh, he found it, a loophole. It, he know, was like, he's like, I know how to get my four bucks back. <laughs> yeah. So whatever. Um, but no, I think it, I think it only helped us to be honest. Um, it sucked because it was so much hype behind that match. And, and like, I don't ever want anybody to feel like we do something. Um, like it, we were like, I had full intentions of him showing up. You right. know what I mean? I don't want people to feel like I told him like, you know what I mean? I'll tell you this. I did tell when I started to feel like he might not come, but he was telling me he was coming. I was like, Hey, like, maybe play it up like you're not coming and we'll like kind of play into that. But then eventually he quit texting me and I'm like, Hey, I meant like to the public, not me. Like yeah. I'm in on the joke, man. And then eventually he didn't show up. I'm like, yeah. well, that's a pretty, that's pretty, he, he sold it because he yep. didn't show up, but yeah. So then we got, we got street leagues three coming up and yep. then what's next for stalemates after that. Do you have any larger plans or just keep plugging along with the, uh, with the street league? 
I really feel like we're firing all cylinders right now. We're really starting to figure out certain formats and stuff. The next plan is to bring in more talent, right? I feel like our people don't really get enough. And in and, and this day of content, and uh, I remember you mentioned to me one time, you know, content's everything. I think you tweeted that or told me or something, um, you know, why you were getting into this podcast. And that's true. And, you know, it's hard to compete with the flow and it's hard to compete with uh, an intermat. And it's hard to compete with these people, even though we do different things. But as far as you know, we're all competing for people's attention when it comes mm-hmm. to, to content, right? So if you only have one video a week or one piece a week, and yeah, we tweet things throughout the week and we do certain fun things and it's hard to really pinpoint this as just a podcast because we do so many different things. Um, but we really want to bring in other talent. Um, we've never really announced it, but Corby's going to be coming on and doing some stuff with us. I really like oh, Corby. Nice. I talked to him. Yeah, he's. He, I really love him. And uh, he's going to be coming on and, and you know, we're going to try to still stick with our brand, but I want anybody to be able to tune into stalemates and be like, you know, cause there's a lot of people that, that don't tune into us because they only enjoy the, the X's and O's. So mm-hmm. I want to, I want them to be able to come to a stalemates and, and be like, I can still get that X's and O's content. It's, I don't care about what's going on on Twitter. I don't care what's going on, you know, on that kind of stuff. I want any wrestling fan to be able to be a fan of stalemates. Uh, mm-hmm. When we did one of our socials with Ryan Warner, it's so funny because, um, you know, we team up in Iowa City and all the all the like serious coaches and athletes would go up to Ryan and be like, Ryan, I love the show. Da, 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 da. And then come over me and be like, hey, you know, I like the show, you know, where <laughs> but then the opposite, we're like the, the the guy who's there drinking a beer and he's having fun and this and that. He's coming up to me and I love the show, man. Da, 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 da. And he's going up to Ryan saying, hey, man, I like the show. You know, yeah. so our, our audiences are so different. We, we probably right. have more of the I, I call them like the, the bleacher seats guys. And yeah, you know, yeah. I want to be able to have. I want to be able to have everybody um, be a uh-huh. fan of stalemates. So, um, and I want it to go beyond just me. I don't, I don't, you know, I like, I like being on camera and I like being the personality and the face and everything, but um, you know, I want somebody to come on the show and, 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 you know, not argue with me, but, you know, give a different perspective or, or stuff like that. And, and you know, it's hard when it's just me and, and producer Tyler, stalemate Tyler. So, um, you know, the goal is to, is to bring in more outside people, more talent. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, obviously we're very Iowa focused because we're, we're in Iowa. So I feel like we could do a better job of, uh, you know, a better East coast representation, a better South, a better West. And, you know, I'm very picky about who we have around and, and who we want on camera and who we want to be able to build their, their um, thing. And, and uh, you know, I trust someone like Corby and it's just trying to find more people like him and, and, uh, you know, people who, who want to work hard and, and uh, you know, prove themselves. And then so when you're looking for a wrestler to put on your card and you like, I, I want somebody who's going to, you know, sell the crap out of this card. Are you looking for somebody who is like amazing technically or great college career or good persona? Like, what are you looking for? I love that you asked me that question because we get I'm not kidding you. I could show you the DMs that we get. We get hundreds of dms not not like every time we do one but like i could show you the message requests that we get and i want people to know if they're watching that it's not always like how good you are like me not responding to your dm isn't because i don't think that you're worthy we look at a few things right so like if you're a big name and and we think that you can draw we will try to find you a really good matchup. I think we did a really good job with Alex Marinelli versus Richie Lewis. Richie wanted a big name. Um, Alex Marinelli lost to him last time that they wrestled. You know what I mean? And when he yeah. when he lost, Richie went over to the brand's corner and, and did some sort of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, you so should drum that up. I'm sure Iowa's going to love that. 
oh, trust me, trust me, it's coming. It's coming. Um, so so that was that made sense, right? So we spent a lot of money there, but it was it made sense. Sometimes we get people were like, hey, we're willing to have you, but you know, our budget's not there to fly you out. You know what I mean? So if there, if that person's like, that's fine. I'll, I just want to do it. Just, you know, um, put me on, find me a person. You know, I just want to do it. You're done deal. Right. Sometimes we get guys that are not big names. They might've wrestled division two, three, Juco. They might wrestle division one, whatever, whatever. Right. And they might ask for a lot. If they ask for a lot, I don't, I'm not mad at them. I don't, um, disagree with them and you know i think if you wrestle in something like this you should get compensated and stuff but it's a business at the end of the day and if it's not really if i don't see you know um the the return we'd love to have you but the you know we're not gonna pay you so mm-hmm. we get a lot of guys in the state of iowa that that don't get paid but they just want to do it right right um um so some of them so some people are like hey you know i you know like one of our main events i won't say who they're like they're, they're flying in. They're like, Hey, I'll bring a guy with me. Um, and you know, he can stay with me. So you'll save money there if you'll put him on the card. So like that guy, we can pay him, um, an affordable rate without having to tack on the travel and this and that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. like some, some guys like they, they drive from far and, and I appreciate that. And so we'll, you know, we'll say, Hey, you know, maybe we can help you out and find you somewhere to stay, or maybe we can help you out doing this or that, or, you know what I mean? So, um, it really depends on the logistics of, you know, how big of a draw they are. Are they, are they willing to sell it? Are they willing to, you know, really go all in on this? And if they are, we'd love to have you. Um, we get, we haven't got any criticism for having a lot of girls, but the, the girl thing is hard because, you know, a lot of the girls that are active wrestlers are mm-hmm. doing freestyle and we don't do freestyle. If we did freestyle, uh, we'd have to hire. Yeah. So we'd have to hire more officials and, um, and, it would just be different, you know? So if we do a freestyle card someday, and I think we will, I would love to have, you know, a female main card, big marquee matchup. But for right now, we're focused out. And if there's a girl out there listening and they want to do it, we would love to. But I think every time that I've had a, you know, a big name uh, female wrestler try to come on, it's it's the folks out thing that always yeah. kind of yeah. puts a damper on that. Uh, but we had we had uh, Becca Roper and, and Billy Sims, and it was like you know we got made fun of for having that, and I think that's one of the more entertaining things we've ever done in street. Yeah, that was know? a big draw for me to watch. Yeah, and it was two people who have never wrestled before, and you know, boy or girl doesn't matter. They went out there, they both trained really hard. I think Becca has cauliflower ear now. You know what I mean? Wow. So From one time, or what, I guess one. I think she she posted you know. a photo. Yeah, I think something happened. You know, so like and and even seeing her afterwards being like, you know, still training, and she really wanted to be on this next one. It, it's unfortunate that she has uh you know Hall of Fame banquet thing to do, but mm-hmm. um you know we're we're looking to have females on. It's just you know it's got to be focused on right now. Is there are you thinking about doing any other kind of like interesting matchups with like the whole first wrestling match ever thing? I think yes and no like that's that's the biggest challenge with street league is like i want it to be legitimate in terms of like i don't want to offend people with like sloppy wrestling you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um so i would like to do another first time wrestling even though i just said i don't want sloppy wrestling but (laughs) it is i think having having two people who have never wrestled before go out there and do it there's a lot of friends of mine that didn't wrestle that like would love that opportunity so that's kind of selfish of me to be like hey I want the opportunity to give you this, this, Mm -hmm. 
or I want the opportunity to give you this opportunity. But I think those kind of things help really grow the sport. Um, we really wanted to do a team um, cup. So this street league was actually going to be the stalemates cup, which was going to be um, four teams of four, a weight, a weight cap. So it'd be four teams of four, your team can't weigh over a thousand pounds. And then we would match you up with, the appropriate person from the other team the winning okay. team gets five grand right so then there could be like a team full of new jersey guys that come out here and you know they might wrestle a team of four guys from iowa and then four guys from florida and and maybe another okay. team from missouri and the winner of that gets the stalemates cup where they're holding it up and you know it's like the stanley cup to them and they get to keep it and next year we do the stanley you know we do the stalemates cup too and, and they, they have to defend, you know, and if they don't defend, they have to mail it back. Like, I would love that. Um, uh -huh. That might come, that might come this fall. Okay. Well, it's, we are helping. Sounds... We, I believe we, I think we're going to help uh, with this um, beach dressing event in my hometown. So I was telling you, it's, it's a lake town uh, where I'm from. And so there, you know, Rathford Lake's down there and, and there's a huge beach, people drinking, partying. And uh, I think we're going to do a beach dressing event there. So that's July. So if you subscribe to the Patreon for $3.99, sorry, if you subscribe to the Patreon for $3.99 in July, you're going to get a beach dressing event as well, hopefully. Okay. I was just going to say, it sounds like you're certainly not short on ideas and uh, everyone's going to continue to see Street League evolve and, and, you know, different things happen and it should be really entertaining. Um, you yeah, know, I, really I, th I think when it comes... I think when it comes to street league, it's, it's so important to have good, good matchups. So uh, I wanted to get that out there. Sorry. I get long winded when I get excited. No, that's okay. It's, it's great to, to talk to passionate people about the things that they're passionate about. And, you know, I was just going to say, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to me today. And um, I, I hope everybody else enjoys listening to you as much as I did. Um, before we sign off, why don't you tell everybody where, where they can find you, your socials, your Patreon, um, at stalemate show, um, on Twitter, I think on Instagram, I think we even, I think even our TikTok is uh, at stalemate show. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's pretty much where you can find us June 24th, Alex Marinelli versus Richie Lewis, Kennedy Monday's coming back. He's going to wrestle Jesse Delvecchia, New York guy, Long Island legend I hear. Um, and then, uh, Mikey England versus Quentin Perez and Grant Leaf versus Colt McChrystal, which is very exciting. So, um, if you guys want a good night of wrestling entertainment, check it out. Have you seen both of them, Will, or yeah. just one? Mm -hmm. Both? Cool. So, um, yeah, it's a good time. So can't wait. Yeah. What's, what's the match you're looking forward to? Oh, I love Mikey England. When, yeah, I, when, he, when he came out with, with the fireman's coat on and, and he, with the mustache and he was singing and dancing, I was like, who is this guy? I don't know who he is, but he's my, my new favorite. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, yeah. We had, we had to get him back and he's going to have his toughest, his toughest task yet. Um, Quentin Perez said they had a similar, they had a similar NCAA career, but obviously mm -hmm. Quentin's a lot younger and, and still pretty active. So, yeah. And then of course, Richie in the bowl too. That's going to be, be a great good. one. Who do you got? Who do you got? Oof. Uh, I think maybe the bull gets him back this time, fueled by uh, revenge. There you go. We'll have to see. All right, Zach, thanks. Yeah, thank you, Will. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bronx Attorney Broadcast. Please like, review, and subscribe so we can help the channel continue to grow. And if you're interested in connecting with any of the guests, please let me know, and I'd be happy to make the introduction.